ladies and gentlemen. Sure, you're doing great today. It's Pipe Parenting Weekly again. Uh, it's my pleasure for me to be with you tonight, uh, speaking to you concerning matters that has to do with our precious, precious children. We're interested in ensuring that your children are protected and they are properly parented, you know, because at the end of the day, children need one thing from us. They need that thing from us more than they need our financial support, more than they need any other thing, more than they need our emotional support. Children need direction. Children need direction. They need it like life, like the breath that they breathe because children are always in search of direction. And one of the greatest things we can do to our children is to give them direction, is to help them to know the way they should go. Uh, that's why the book that I read says, train up a child the way he should go. Train up a child the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That also goes for, she will not depart from it. That also goes for train up a child the way she should go. So the issue is about training. The issue is about training. Something about training is that it's always a participatory effort. The trainer does not bell uh, or, or yell instructions without being participatory. The, as a matter of fact, the more you participate in the process, the more it is easy for the one you are trying to instruct or the one you are trying to train to see the point and to get it. So the point is, it begins with example. What example are we showing to our children? You know, so that's why I keep saying that our children are either beneficiaries or victims of our examples. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, the way to train a child the way he should go is for you to go there first and come back and take the child with you. That is how it works. And so for me, I want to implore you to keep uh, joining us every week uh, to share this video, to subscribe to our channel, to like what we have posted, to make comments, and to continue to share. Like, comment, and share, and subscribe. And um, that's what we wanted to do so that this message of uh, power parenting can go far, far, far than our imagination can even carry. Thank you very much. So today I'm continuing the conversation we had last week. I started a conversation with you uh, on every part is private to me. Last week I discussed part one. You know, that whole concept uh, uh, that we're dealing with now, child sexual abuse, began like th four weeks ago when I began with um, how we sub how, uh, uh, we build uh, the environment and encourage child sexual abuse and um, what we can do about that. I think the week after I spoke about my story, um, uh, my story and brought out helpful tips from there and um, on the on, then thereafter, I spoke about uh, myths and meaning, uh, and which I believe should be keys to prevention. And so this week, uh, uh, last week, I began to speak about 
Every part is private to me, uh, which I spent a lot of time to discuss and time failed us. We could not continue and uh, we shifted it to continue this week. And so this week I'm still going to be sharing with you every part is private to me. I'm going to be sharing with you part two of that conversation. I think it's a conversation you really need to be part of. I'm going to be sharing with you from the depth of our research, from our understanding. One thing we cannot afford to do is to think the way everybody thinks. So we keep challenging our own thoughts. We keep looking at the things we've spoken about over the years. Somebody asked me, what, what's happening to your product? I said, Some of my, most of my products are off the market. Why are they off the market? Because my views when I produced them have changed. And I don't want to be mis misrepresented that those are still my views. So we are re-engineering a lot of things. We are bringing back our product. We are, because fresh thoughts keep, you know, hitting us on a daily basis. Because, you see, in this conversation of protection of our children, of parenting, we live, we move, we have our being. It is our life. You know, when you wake me up in the night, you know, and um, you ask me any question on this field, they, I don't need to think, they, have, they are auto, there's going to be auto response, you know, from my own inner being. So the truth of the matter is that I can say to you clearly that if you cut me open now, the blood that is going to flow in my body is going to be the blood of securing a friendly and protective environment for children, the blood of how do we guide our children in parenting. And, you know, we have, we have uh, uh, our own diet, our own different thoughts on this subject matter of parenting. We believe that parenting is a four-dimensional relationship between a child and the parent. We believe that there is primary parents and there are secondary parents. These are not coinages that existed before we began to talk about them. They are original to us. They are our own. And one thing I know is that in the knowledge space, what makes a difference for you is your originality, is the difference you bring to table. And so I'm not going to um, spend much time in, in this uh, introduction anymore. I'm just going to go into the conversation of today. The whole essence of all I've said before now is to create a background, a, a background for everything I want to say. So I want to charge you, if this is the first edition that you're listening to, or the first episode you are listening to in this series, I want to charge you to go back to all the other editions and um, let them instruct you. Because I know there's a lot uh, we can get from all that we have said in the past. Having said that, let me quickly start today by discussing every part is private to me, part two. So I want to begin by examining the sexuality education we give to our precious children. I want to begin from there and I will now discuss other issues as they relate to the reason why we're having this conversation today is to create clarity, new thought, new vista. You know, uh, positioning our thoughts and pivoting our thought to a point where it can help children. Because at the end of the day, whatever we do here that does not transform the lives of children is a waste of time. A waste of time. So because Mr. Lacunation will say the purpose of knowledge is transformation. If knowledge does not lead to transformation, then knowledge is useless. And so this exercise is not an exercise in futility. It's not an exercise in in just having a discussion. is an exercise is helping us to do the right thing concerning our children. And so, I want to begin by asking this question. 
which part of the body are private to the child in relation to sexual touch or sexual overtures or comfortable feelings or even sexual intercourse which part of this of the child is private our response very quickly is that every part of the child is private to him or her every part of the child is what private to him or her and i'll quickly say why are they private that's the question i want to ask because you see for every question we ask there's an answer for every answer we we give there is a reasoning behind the answer and for every reasoning we adduce here there is an ideology a philosophy you know behind all of that so it is from ideology to uh, uh reasoning from reasoning to response that's how it works for us here because we believe that there are no thoughts that are independent on their own and every thought must be standing upon an ideology every ideology must be enunciated and discussed by looking at the reasoning the reasoning will lead us to responses that's how we believe it works it works there are primarily private they, sorry they are primarily private because there are parts of the human body, male or female, which in view of modesty are not to be seen. They are to be covered. In, 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 they are to be covered. So what makes a place private is because primarily they are supposed, not supposed, they are the part of the body for the sake of modesty that are supposed to be covered. That is what makes a part of the body private. Private must be looked at vis-a-vis -vis public part. Private part must be looked at vis-a-vis -vis public part. The core of private or public parts are not as it relates to touches, but as to what part of the body speak of intimacy and which does not. So when we talk about private part and public part, it is not primarily for the purpose of discussing touches, sex, and all of that. It is, it is to the purpose of discussing what part of the body is more sensitive, what part of the body speaks to intimacy. So on the basis of that, some parts should be covered, some parts should be open, should be public. That is basically the idea. So before we begin to talk about... Um, um, uh, 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 the private part of a child, the public part of the child, is important we understand this concept. They are not necessarily private only for the purpose of being touched. The parts of the body that we call private are not necessarily private because of the whole idea of being touched. They are private because they are more sensitive than other parts of the body. Part of them being your, being your sexual organs. The vulva, which includes the vagina for a girl, the penis, including testicles, the breast, and all of that. They are private not because of touches, primarily. They are private because they are sensitive parts of our body that are supposed to be covered. Now, please note, it is not every part that is covered that is sexual organ. It is not every part that is covered that is a sexual organ. There are parts that are covered 
that are not sexual organs. So when we talk about private part and we talk about public part, what we are talking about is those areas, including your sexual organs that are covered for the purpose of decency, for the purpose of dignity, for the purpose of honor. That is what we are talking about when we talk about public part and private part. It is important that we understand that. The privates, they are private because they are part of the bodies which are easily aroused. Some of those parts that are private, they are, part of, they are private because they are the part of the body that are usually easily aroused. It's important that we understand that. Very key. Now, who has the right to touch any part of a child's body? It's important that we understand that. Having established the whole concept of private part and public part. Now, who has the right to touch the, any part of the body? Nobody has the right to touch any part of the body except for the purpose of providing care, which is cautious care, and moderate affection. You cannot touch any part of the child's body except you are providing moderate care, moderate care, moderate care, or what I call cautious care and moderate affection. So let me throw a bit of light on that when we talk about cautious care. Now, what is care? Care is to anticipate the needs of children, to anticipate the threat to them, to make adequate preparation to meet those needs and mitigate those threats. Even if you are a mom, even if you are a dad, care must be cautious. Now, this is the point. When you say you are caring for a child, for example, you want to bath for your child. Now, when it, there's, a, there's an age the child gets to that you will not be bathing for the child. Because why? Because the child has come of age where the child should begin to bath for himself or herself. Now, we've now, research has now shown that from age, between age 5 and 6, children should be allowed to bath on their own with under strict supervision. Why do you need to supervise them when they bath on their own? Because of the issue of safety. They will not drown themselves in the bath. They will not, mess, they will not um, uh, injure or, or, or arm themselves while they are trying to take their bath. As they become older, from age 10 or thereabouts, there will still be a level of supervision, but it can just be a sense that you are around, not that you stay with the child in the bathroom. Now, when you now come and say you want to begin to bath for your 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, then that is no more cautious care because a child begins to feel a sense of shame from age 3. Research has now shown. The child begins to feel uneasy when somebody is around, when uh, he or she is trying to dress, the child begins to feel a sense of uneasy. Now, the child may not be able to give expression to it, but research has shown that children begin to feel shame, what is proper, what is not right, inappropriate, and all of that, from a three or thereabouts. So, what you need to understand that when you want to provide care, the care must be in accordance of, of research, in accordance to research, in accordance to best practice. It cannot be in accordance to what you think. It cannot be in accordance to uh, uh, what you feel should be care. 
care must be provided in accordance with what ought to be, what has been designed to be. A father, for example, cannot say he is bathing for... Now, let me quickly settle this. I don't believe that fathers cannot bath for their children, male or female. I don't believe that mothers cannot bath for their children, male or female. I don't even believe that fathers and mothers uh, uh, cannot bath for their children, irrespective of their sex. But when it comes to... But when it comes to... Now, now all of that we have to do with the age of the child we are talking about. You cannot be bathing for or bathing with a child who is 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old. As a matter of fact, I've said before, children should be left to bath by themselves from age 5 to 6. What you are trying to do, you see, because in our developmental plan, one of the things we must be ready to do is to raise our children to be independent. Is to raise our children to be independent. So, at the end of the day, when we allow children to begin to do things for themselves, that they should be able to do for themselves, we are setting them on the path of being independent. And that is very, very important. You see, the rule is this. In raising children, or in securing a friendly and protective environment for children, you don't do for children what they are able to do for themselves by the reason of their physical, psychological, emotional development. You don't do for children what they should be able to do for themselves by the reason of their physical, emotional, psychological, uh, uh, physiological development. They should be able to do things for themselves. So whatever care you are providing that is eroding on the dependence of the child, that is eroding on the capacity of the child to be independent is wrong. And it is suspicious. A father cannot say, I want to buy from a 10-year-old daughter. What we are saying, from age 5 and 6, the children should be able to buy for themselves. We can supervise it closely to ensure that they don't harm themselves in the bathroom. But as they grow older, we move forward. We begin to move forward. Sorry, we begin to move backwards to allow them to do those things on their own without invading their privacy. Now, let me give you an example. So, uh, if my daughter, 8 year old, 10 year old, is taking a bath, and I, you know, um, I, I have already dressed up and I was on my way out, and I need to quickly get into the bathroom, I just remember I did not brush, you know, before rushing out, and I quickly want to get to the bathroom, I don't think it is wrong to quickly knock, get to the bathroom, take my tooth, uh, toothpaste and, and my brush, and get out and find a place to brush. I can quickly knock and do that. Now, now, but as our children grow older, they become conscious of their body, of their person, and we have to be careful. So what I'm saying is that, now, let me talk about moderate affection. For example, a child has done well in exam, and you are the secondary parents, you are the teacher, you want to hug the child. You cannot neglect, you cannot neglect that the child is fully developed. Even if the child is not fully developed, there is a way to hug a, a, a man should hug a girl. There is a way a woman should hug a boy. We should be careful. Our affection must be moderate. It is what we are showing that should be what is being seen that we are showing. If what we are showing, as I said last week, is different from what is being seen that we are showing, then there is a problem. It is important that we understand that, that there is a problem and it's something we need to address, something we need to deal with. Now, this is the point.
at the end of the day, we need to understand that our children have feelings. Everything we do to children, speak to children, and it informs how they think, how they do things. Our behavior, our words, are mirrors through which our children see themselves. Once they begin to, 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 to develop, they see themselves as we see them, as we speak about them. If you raise children that cannot speak up, if you raise children that do not understand their privacy, feel their privacy, if we invade their privacy on daily basis, invade their privacy, invade their privacy, what we are doing to them is that we are telling them that privacy is not important and anybody can invade it. And when somebody invades it, they should keep quiet. They should say nothing. So the point I'm trying to make here is this. At the end of the day, uh, we have to be careful and understand these things. Okay, what about little, little children? Children that are below five who are in a, a, a school, who are in a crash, who are in a, 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 a nursery school. Now, children below five enjoy a lot of hugs. Enjoy a lot of that because it is called stimulation. It's part of the development of children. So, a school owner has asked me, when my children come in the morning, that is, the children in school, I hug them. I stay at the gate or the, or the door of their classroom. I hug them. I said, that is not wrong. It is called stimulation. As a matter of fact, we are told that our children, a child is anybody below 18, particularly for us primary parents, that is, the, the biological parents or the adoptive parents, we are encouraged to hug our children as many times as possible, as many times as possible to provide that affection, there is a level of intimacy and affection that exists between us and our children when we roll up them regularly. Now we are told that such hug should be maybe like 15 seconds of hug and we do it regularly. Now that is understandable as a primary parent. We must recognize the fact that what we share with children as primary parents is different from what we share with them as secondary parents. Secondary parents are neighbors. Secondary parents are teachers. Secondary parents are nannies. Secondary parents are people we keep our children with. Secondary parents are the people who teach in religious places of worship, who are teachers in the department of children in those religious places of worship. We cannot be hugging children, that is older children from age six now, we cannot be hugging them, you know, uh, uh, recklessly as if, you know, uh, we are the primary parents. Now, this is the point. If you have not seen your children, now there's COVID. Because of COVID, we have not set our eyes on our children as secondary parents. And when these children show up in school, what do we do? We want to hug them on the first day. I'm talking about older children. We want to hug them. We want to appreciate them. We want to let them know that they, they are appreciated, that we have missed them. That is understandable. You see, hugging at that level cannot become a daily thing. Every day, hug, hug. The children might misconstrue that. The observers might misconstrue that. The people who have the responsibility of regular hugs are the primary parents. We must not lose sight of that. So I say every part of the child is private to the child. Nobody can touch it except for the purpose of providing cautious care or moderate affection. And I think to a very large extent, I have, um, I have explained what I mean by cautious care and moderate attention. So the next question is that what touch is allowed really? What touch is allowed? I think the only touch that is allowed is what we have coined the necessary touch. 
You know, because only necessary touch is allowed, and therefore, no to unnecessary touch. Every touch that is not necessary. What is a necessary touch? A touch that is for the purpose of providing care or providing affection. A, to a touch that is for the purpose of providing what we call cautious care and moderate affection. Now, when the touch is not for the purpose of those two, whether it is from mom, whether it's from dad, whether it's from primary parents or secondary parents, it is not necessary. It is not necessary. It is called unnecessary touch. No touch is good except it is necessary. And no touch is bad except it is unnecessary. And I think in my previous point, which I just made now, I've dwelt heavily on the subject matter of affection, what, what we call uh, affection, what we call uh, 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 affection, and what we call and what we call uh, 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 cautious care. We have dwelt on that. And so, in moving forward now, I think it is upon that uh, bedrock that I build what I build now. We've spoken about cautious care and moderate affection. It is in the light of that that we build up on this. So, I don't want anyone to misunderstand us. I don't think you can just take a portion of this conversation and blow it up. If you want to really follow this conversation, you must start from the beginning because what we are trying to, as I told you before, there's an ideology. The ideology is exposed in reasoning and the reasoning will inform our responses. It is from ideology to reasoning, reasoning to responses. That is how we roll here. And so it is important that you understand what I'm talking about and take it holistically. So, so, so when a touch is not necessary, it means that is not a good touch. When a touch is necessary, it means that's a good touch. Now, I know we're talking about good touch, bad touch. And what do we talk about when we talk about good touch, bad touch? If anybody touches your, your private part, that is a bad touch. If anybody touches your public part, it's okay. But the question is this. That in itself, research has now found that that is confusing to children. Now, we are as an adult, nobody can touch me except it is necessary. I don't even need to be a child. If I go to an eatery or I go to a public place, nobody can see me and just grab me because the person is not grabbing my private part. It, it's not going to work. For you to touch me, it has to be necessary. There has to be an explanation behind it. I cannot take my child out to a public place and somebody wants to touch the child and the person just sees my child with me and begins to touch the child or hold the hand of the child. If somebody holds my child's hand, I'm going to raise an alarm immediately because I don't know you when a public place. So, so this whole idea of private part, public part, good touch, bad touch can set up our children and that's why we don't use that word in this conversation. We only use that word to the extent we only use the word necessary touch or unnecessary touch. And that is why we want to ingrain in the minds of our children to understand when a touch is necessary, to understand when a touch is unnecessary. Which touch is necessary? The touch that is necessary is for the purpose of providing cautious care. The touch that is necessary is for the, the one that is for the purpose of providing moderate affection. For example, if I'm in a public place and I sleep, and I'm about to fall, and somebody comes to my aid to help me not to fall, 
That is a necessary touch. Even if I don't know the person before, even if I'm a woman and the person is a man, if I faint in the public and somebody is trying to perform CPR, it doesn't matter the sex of the person the, the, who is performing the CPR. I may be a woman, a man may perform CPR on me. It is for the purpose of saving life. It is a necessary touch. If my child faints and somebody is trying to help, it is a necessary touch. If somebody wants to greet my child, somebody who is familiar with my child, who gives my child a drug, it's a necessary touch. If somebody does not know my child from anywhere and just sees my child in public and wants to help my child, that's unnecessary. It doesn't matter whether it is the head that the person touches. It doesn't matter whether it is the, it is the chest. It doesn't matter whether it is the leg. Anywhere the person touches, when the touch is not necessary, is unacceptable. That is what we need to teach our children. And that is why it is important that we discuss the superiority of what we call private and personal space and what we call private part. We think what we should teach our children is to respect their private and personal space. I have personal space. Anybody who is reaching out to me must give me three meters in personal conversation. And I cannot afford to have a conversation in a place, particularly when I'm dealing with anybody or people that I'm not, who is not my primary parents, particularly, in a place where I do not have the opportunity of escape. I must have my conversation as much as possible in an open place so that that three meters cannot be violated because if I'm in a close place, the conversation can start with us respecting three meters. But you see, if the conversation starts with us respecting three meters, once where I am is enclosed, it means the more the person gets close to me, what happens? The more the three meters is breached. So I either have to be in a place where there's a lot of space for me to run, to maintain the three meters, that is, if we start a conversation with three meters, the more the person gets close, the more I continue to move back and insist on my three meters. Three meters is my right. It's my private space. Three meters is my personal space. Three meters is something that nobody should violate. We started talking about this before this whole idea of COVID and social distancing. Even with the advent of COVID now, that, law, that conversation or that rule is being reinforced. The fact is, you cannot, you cannot, for, for, for you to be safe, you have to maintain that three meters. You know, because that is what personal space requires. I cannot compromise that. Nobody should compromise that for whatever reason. Very, very important. So what needs to happen, instead of telling to our children about private part, private part, private part, nobody can touch your private part, we should talk to them about their private and personal space, which must be respected by all, except for the purpose of providing cautious care or moderate affection. We must let them understand that. It must be clear to them. Nobody has the right to touch any part of their body because this is something they need to understand. So let me ask you another question. Can the child give consent to sex, sexual touch, or sexual overtures? A child is a person below the age of 18 years old and cannot give consent for any form of sexual overtures, intercourse, sexual advancement, both from peers and adults. 
So, now, this is the point. We need to understand that point. It's very, very important. Now, if, let me give you an example to further drive my point home. If somebody holds my child's hand and my child says he or she feels sexual sensation as a matter of that. Now, when the person is reported to me and I call the person, I say, no, you shouldn't do that. And the person says, my child did not complain when he or she held his or her hand. So she felt, he or she felt that my child did not have a problem with it. And so she sees things that he or she thinks my child has consented. My response is going to be that what is sexual is within the subjective knowledge of my child. Anybody below 18, what is sexual is within the subjective knowledge of my child. And so if it is sexual to her, therefore, it is sexual to her. When she now says that she does not like it, when you say you thought she accepted it, you are saying she should do what she does not have capacity to do under the law or under nature. A child does not have capacity, particularly under the law, to give consent to any sexual overtures, any sexual advancement in developed countries. Winking to a child is, is, is rated or is, is seen as, is considered as making sexual overtures, winking at a child. And it doesn't matter whether you think the child is, 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 is 19. It doesn't matter whether you think the child is older because of her physical and physiological development. It doesn't matter. So what, so, so that is, it is that, what I'm talking about is that sensitive. That is why you should be careful how you touch anybody below 18. Now, when you touch an adult who is above 18, who is from 18, when you touch him or you touch her and she says it is a sexual touch, whether you just hold the hand. Now, when you just hold the hand and she says it's a sexual touch, your defense can be that when I touched her, she did not resist, so I thought she wanted it. That can be a defense. Because an adult, anybody from 18, can actually give consent to sexual overtures, to sexual thought, to sexual advancement. He or she can give consent, either by conduct or by express acceptance. But the truth of the matter is that when it comes to a child, the rule of the game is completely different. The rule of the game is completely different. Moving from the fact that what is sexual from person to person is a subjective quantity. It's a subjective quantity. It is not an objective quantity. Say, I just winked at her. How can she say she felt a sexual urge? It is the principle in law is the actual principle. Take your victim as you find him or her. You are the one who went to wink. You are the one who went to touch a child when you are not supposed to touch the child. You are the one who went to hold a child when you are not supposed to hold a child. You are the one who went to hold a child without any defense. You do not have a place because your only defense can be cautious care or what we call moderate aff affirmation. Once it is not that, you are setting up yourself, particularly as a secondary parent who has been given the responsibility of care. It is very important that we understand all of this. You know, because even as an adult, nobody, as I've said before, can touch me. 
Nobody can touch me except for care or affirmation or affection. Nobody can touch me as an adult. Not to talk about a child. You look at it. Nobody can touch an adult. You can meet somebody at the airport or you meet somebody at an eatery. You just come and grab you. It's not possible. And when you, when you chase off the person and say, what are you trying to do? He says, so I'm not touching your private part. I'm, not touching your pri I'm only touching your public part. No. We need to be careful what we tell children. I believe that what set up our children for abuse is more of this kind of teachings than the words of the abuser. So is the child ready for sex? Sexual touch or sexual overtures? The child is not ready for sex Sexual touches, sexual overtures, both from peers and adults. The child is not ready. The child is not ready for necessary touch. The child is only ready for necessary touch. Now, when we talk to our children about this, what is good touch, what is bad touch, what happens is that they get used to the wrong touch. They get used to unnecessary touch, since we have said that what is bad is when their private part is touched. It's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand that the child is not ready for sex. It's not ready for any sexual overtures. The child is not ready for it. Now, this is the point that I need to make to you. Those who abuse our children do not start with their vagina. Do not start with their penis. Do not start with their vulva. Do not start with their buttocks. All these things we call private part. Do not start with their lips. Those who abuse our children, as I explained last week, do four things. And we must understand, and that's why I'm going to wrap up today. And next week, I'm going to be discussing system as a means of protecting our children. Now, look, this thing we are talking about, those who want to abuse their children, they are comfortable with this teaching. They are comfortable with this conversation. Why are they comfortable with the conversation? The reason why they are comfortable with the conversation is that it set up our children to be abused. Now, this is how it works. The way it works is this. When you tell children that there's a place called private part and public, uh, 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 and it is when they touch private part that they, that they complain. Now, what the abuser does, the abuser does not start with the private part. The abuser, the abuser touches with, starts with touching the hand. From the hand, the abuser will graduate to the shoulder. And this can be a process. Now, we have told our children to be comfortable with grooming. So the, the person is touching the hand. The person is touching all the areas we have told the child is not private. The child is not complaining. By the time the person begins to touch the places we told the child is private, the child, through the acceptance of what we call, the, through the acceptance of what we call public areas, the child has gotten used to the, to the guy has already gotten used to the entire process. By the time the person begins to touch the private, what we call the private part, by reason of constant touch of the public part, the child is already used to the abuser and the child is already used to the touches. At that point, the child might have developed what we call Stockholm Syndrome for the abuser. And so the child is now more difficult for the child to speak up. So when we tell children, speak up, speak up, and we do not talk about this whole idea of the fact that every part of their body is private to them and nobody can touch it, we cause trouble. Now, I'm going to end the conversation there today. Uh, and next week, I will wrap up on this, every part is private to me, before I go into system. There are a few things I still want to say. 
about every part is private to me. What, what I just want us to understand is that we must let our children know that more important than private part is what we call private space, personal space, very important, that at the end of the day, the abuser engages in grooming. The whole essence of grooming is to get the child to be comfortable with abuse and with the abuser. And grooming has to do with words. My wife, my husband, as I explained last week, grooming has to do with what we have called good touches. That's where grooming begins from. Most abusers are strategic. Now, there are exceptions to the rule that there are opportunistic abusers. But most abusers are strategic. There are people that know the child, that profile the child, that groom the child, that attack the child, and manipulate the child. Thank you very much for being part of this conversation today. I'm grateful for, for joining us. Uh, our program, Taiwa Kilami Masterclass, takes place tomorrow. You can still register. There are numbers scrolling under this, uh, under this broadcast now. You can just register for that program. There is a scholarship we are granting. If you, if, you, if you send us a message now on this number, we can grant you a scholarship. We are bringing together people that have done it. They've done that. They've been there. I'm going to be speaking there. Mr. Lachlan is there. Uh, Mr. Teddy Babyface, uh, Mrs. Fatima, all of us, we are going to be there talking to you about maximizing social impact, how to move from passion to profit in a third world environment and beyond. You need to be there. Pick up our materials. You know, after this program, is going to be scrolling our materials and where you can get them. They're on Amazon, they're on, um, um, on different platform Amazon sellers and Okada books. Please pick them up. Now, follow us on Twitter, on Instagram. We're on all of these platforms. Follow us there and let this conversation keep going. Know that enlightenment is superior to enforcement. And when it comes to the business of protecting our children we, or, or, or parenting them, power is important. And by power, we speak of skill, we speak of knowledge, we speak of attitude. Knowledge is what to do. Skill is how to do it. Attitude is the fortitude to do that which you know you should do. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'll be with you again next week. God's willing, by the grace of God, as long as I have breath. Someone says breath is the proof that there's more to conquer. Keep sharing this message. Subscribe to our channel. Like everything that we like all our videos. Pick up all the series and follow through this conversation. Note, at the end of the day, our goal is that enlightenment will become a tool that will help us to protect our children so that we wouldn't need, we, we, we need to lean on enforcement. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. It's my pleasure to have been with you. My name remains Taiwo Akilami, the preacher. God bless you.